If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and, of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome again to another edition of the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett. Nate Klaus in sunny Arizona. Robin, he'll join us later in the show over the phone remotely. But it's just you and me today, buddy. And and we'll hear from Blake Arney as well. Yeah, Nate's a lot smarter than us. He he got out of this uh, another cold snap and is enjoying the uh, nice southwestern temperatures right now. A kid-free trip to Arizona, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. So enjoy his... Uh, Time, Enjoy it while you can, buddy. This week, I think one of the big storylines that's been out there about Nebraska football, number one, we now know the spring game is a 1 o'clock BTN live telecast kickoff. So another year in a row, Nebraska gets the live window, not a tape-delayed window. It kind of tells you, um, obviously, the Big Ten is – recognized you know this is a a good event to air live because of the fact that leads the nation in attendance but um and other news involving nebraska football these computer rankings come out again and it's it's kind of like one of those it's a trap it's a trap Mm -hmm. don't take the bait type things uh but the espn fpi football power index poll has nebraska at number 22 um, I believe that's third, though, in the West. Wisconsin's one, Minnesota two. Huskers ahead of Iowa in that FPI index poll. Really uh, projected to be like an eight and four type team um, based on the FPI. Um, and I, I think when you talk to a lot of Nebraska fans, uh, there's just a lot of fear in trusting polls um, because as we learned last year, it didn't go right for Nebraska. Um, and, and a lot of people got into the Vegas over-unders, got into the FPI polls, and got into the preseason magazine stuff. And I think there's there's no doubt going to be a much more cautious optimism amongst Nebraska fans. Yeah, and there needs to be. Uh, if there's one thing we've learned during this very rough past decade is that preseason rankings and, and all that stuff mean absolutely nothing when it comes to when the ball finally kicks off in the fall. Uh, I mean, it's uh, you can say all you want about you know how Nebraska you know should project but um you know there's so many variables that we just don't know and especially like this particular season i don't understand why anyone would buy into that level of hype given just how many unknowns there are right now i mean we don't even know who the starting quarterback is officially going to be or who the top offensive line is going to be and and all these things and so uh and 
that's not even talking about one of the more difficult schedules Nebraska's had to face in a long time, especially the back half of that. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much of it is just, you know, clickbaiting Nebraska fans that are just so desperate to read anything positive at this point, or if they actually truly believe, and there are true metrics out there that say Nebraska could be better than everybody thinks. But I think for right now, Everything needs to be tempered. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned clickbait. I, I think there's like actually this conspiracy theory that outlets. <laughs> I'm a know, believer. Um, will write very favorably and rank Nebraska high because it just gets linked like crazy. Dominates our 36 hours of daily sports talk radio, and that is actually a fact. How much sports talk radio Nebraska has when you count Omaha, Lincoln, and other stations in the state? Uh, there is a lot of daily sports talk radio that goes on. And you do one of those polls and you rank Nebraska here and you make these kind of projections. All of a sudden, you're the lead on every sports talk radio show. Your stories get more traffic, yada, yada, yada. So that theory is real um, by a lot of folks out there uh, when you look at it. But I do think, Robin, when you look at this team way early in advance, I mean, there are some areas that you like. I mean, the offensive line's better. We know the receiver position is going to be better. We think the two new running backs coming in, Adedrick Mills, should give Nebraska better play at running back, especially once Maurice Washington left the roster. We know the quarterbacks. There's guys there. We know tight end will be better with Volkolek. Defensive front seven still a question. We know the secondary returns a lot of guys. But leads me to the next thing, special teams. We learned this week, Robin, Nebraska has their new senior analyst, Jonathan Rutledge, uh, from Auburn to, to run and manage special teams. He'll make about $150,000 a year um, running this. And a lot of questions, Robin, on just what Rutledge's role is going to be and kind of how he'll, he'll be, basically be a coach but not really a coach. Yeah, and you know we've we've talked about this before when we were just discussing the analyst role in general. Um, and obviously, you know, as we pointed out, there are a lot of limitations as far as what an analyst can do as opposed to a full-time coach, especially when it comes to on-field instruction. So that part of it, you know, he's not going to really be um, that involved in that regard. But what I think his biggest uh, asset is going to be is the week to week game planning um, with that third element, you know, understanding not only uh, different schemes and whatnot, but addressing personnel decisions, uh, you know, handling, you know, with the spe- especially with as much emphasis as a staff puts on that four game redshirt rule and dispersing freshmen on special teams, uh, that can be something that he can help manage directly and spend a lot of time figuring that stuff out to where those full time assistants can focus on their specific duties and there's one less thing on their plate. And, you know, I think they kind of struggled with that last year, you know, with Javon DeWitt going through his situation, a lot of those other coaches had to pick up the slack and um, take on even more responsibilities than what was already you know given to them. So I think just having that kind of burden in the hands of somebody else, um, even if they do still have to do a lot of the on-field instruction is going to be a big relief for the, for the full-time staff. Yeah. What I envision Rutledge doing is he's going to be the guy that moves the pieces, organizes the units, manages all of those elements of the special teams. And then obviously the coaching staffs are each going to have a a different responsibility. Like one guy is going to be in charge of these guys on kickoff and those guys on punt return, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, But you're going to have almost a manager um, that files the paperwork and organizes and shuffles how things are going to be um, with a lot of those players. So that will be something interesting to watch. Now on roster news, couple of pieces this week, Robin, that popped, um, you know, on Friday. It was a busy Valentine's Day night for me in the Callahan household. <laughs> Thankfully, we ordered our heart-shaped pizza, and I was home because 
we reported on Jonathan Rutledge Friday night. Um, we're able to confirm that report. But then two other announcements happened. Darian Chase, the wide receiver out of Washington, put his name in the transfer portal. And then Christian Gaylord got his sixth year of eligibility, which we knew was coming, but um, the official official waiver came Friday night. So uh, nothing like the old-fashioned Friday night news dump, um, literally, um, <laughs> past 6 o'clock when all these things kind of broke. Yeah, and you know, obviously the Gaylord news was expected, um, but the Chase situation I thought kind of took some people by surprise, given the fact that you know he was one of those young wide receivers that has been talked about all last season as being right on the cusp of being able to crack the rotation, and he seemed like you know he was maybe the closest, even though it never really translated onto the field. But um, you got to wonder kind of what happened there, and maybe that's a reflection of uh, the influx of new talent. Nebraska's brought in uh, at that position in particular. Maybe he kind of saw the writing on the wall that um, you know he was being recruited over, or there was going to be a lot more competition than maybe he anticipated. So um, you, know, you can view it in a couple different ways. Certainly, you know you, you hate to see a, a promising young player like that leave without even making a, a semblance of an impact, but uh, maybe that's a reflection more of what that room looks like now compared to where it did a year ago. All right. Well, Robin, um, you know we got a different show today without Nate in studio. Um, so we're going to do some more basketball today. I want to give you a little bit more time and have. Yeah, we'll, we'll do basketball and then a lot of basketball recruiting, I believe. Yeah. So we will talk. <laughs> Look to the future. Not just the season, but we're going to do a dedicated segment to what is going on with recruiting, with scholarship numbers, with sit out guys on the roster. But particularly, I want to get your thoughts, Robin, um, on that Lincoln North Star Miller North game that you attended. And then even what you heard about Miller North versus IMG Academy. Um, as far as the talent goes, it's my understanding. I, I think Stu Popsisil had this in the World Herald that Tino Martinez, the organizer um, of the Heartland Classic out there in Grand Island, Hoops, Heartland Hoops Classic, said that IMG Academy was the most talented team they've had, even more so than Oak Hill Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miller North was right there with them, um, played them very respectable. Um, and it sounds like maybe IMG Academy could be – we're going to see Miller North out there again next year, and, and maybe they'll play IMG Academy again. Yeah, maybe. And that would be a nice coup for the Heartland Classic. So when we come back, we are going to talk more about basketball recruiting and what's next on that front. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. This segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into any of the Omaha and Lincoln Tanner's locations Watch all the college basketball action here over the weekend and XFL football action. Or just go out to dinner Friday night, get some wings, get some beer, uh, play some Keno, have a good time in Tanner's. Robin, let, let's um, let's talk about basketball recruiting. You know, we haven't really done one of these segments in a while. But first, I want to get your thoughts. You were at the Miller North versus Lincoln North Star game at Miller North High School. Um, you know, and you look at the crowd, well over 2000 people in that gym, maybe closer to 2,500. I don't know what the capacity is, um, there at Miller North, but probably as many college basketball coaches in attendance at a Nebraska high school sporting event that I can ever remember. Yeah. I mean, including two high major head coaches and, uh, prom from Iowa state and Nate Oates from Alabama. So, 
Um, it was uh, as big of a scene as a regular season uh, high school basketball game um, in Nebraska is concerned that we've seen in a long, long time. I mean, uh, the fact that there was, I think, what, seven or eight um, schools represented, including a couple that had multiple coaches there. Uh, so it was a big deal. When you have four legitimate high major prospects all playing in one game, that's the result you're going to get. You had, obviously, Oregon was there, Iowa State, Kansas. Oklahoma State. Was Kansas there? Yeah, they had an assistant. Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M was there, mm-hmm. South Dakota and Alabama. South Dakota State, UNO, Alabama. Yep. Um, and we're probably missing one. Yeah. There. And, you know, who knows how many others showed up? I just know that all the ones that were reported going into the game all show, were confirmed to be there. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that the number of uh, coaches in the stands, like I said, it, it felt like an AAU tournament as opposed to a Nebraska high school game. Can they, when, when the game's over, can they talk to the kids, the coaches? No. Because that would have been pretty interesting to see how that would have played out. You can out. talk to parents, though. And Hunter Salas' parents were very popular. Uh, you know, Donovan Williams' dad was uh, certainly making the rounds. And, uh, you know, Jason Green's dad and, and his mom were, were getting approached as well. So, uh, yeah, de- definitely some schmoozing going on after the game. A lot of, like, bleacher, squat-down, handshake deals going yes, on. And- yes, sir. <laughs> Lots of that going on. And, you know, that's to be expected. But right now, uh, you can't directly contact a player uh, until the contact or the yeah the contact period opens up here after the season. Now, can you actually sit with the parents for a long period of time, or does that have to be kind of a bump? I mean, it's kind of a gray area. I mean, I don't know if you can sit there and like post selfies with each other or anything like that. But you know, there there are definitely guys shaking hands, having conversations. You know, uh, it's unfortunate Hunter's uh, Hunter Salas's dad like, broke his foot a while back, so he had to sit in a chair uh, where the re- a lot of the coaches were sitting. Uh, so I mean, I think oh darn, he yeah. right by all the coaches. Yeah, so definitely uh, uh, some of the coaches took full advantage of that. Now the mom, they were athletes too, right? His parents. Yeah, his mom was a stud. You know, one of the better. Um, girls high school basketball players ever to come out of the state uh, and then she went and played uh, at Sa- San Diego State um, and had a very successful college career so she's I think she's the baller of the family where Hunter got the most of most of his genes and watching that game I was able to watch it on uh, TV I think News Channel Nebraska they they broadcasted it so I got to see it as well and you can just see he, it just comes so easy for this kid you know he, he's able just to drive in and tomahawk dunk hits a three, hits a shot, makes his free throws. You know, he he does a lot without having to take a lot of shots, where Donovan Williams, you know, he does a lot but also has to take a lot of shots. Yeah, I mean, Hunter Salas had 27 points on 13 shots. Donovan Williams had 31 on 30 shots. So, I mean, that in itself uh, says a lot about the style of players both those guys are. And, you know, with Hunter – uh, he plays within the team concept. I mean, there, if he wanted to shoot that much and, you know, basically be a, a stats guy, he could do it, but he doesn't need to because he's got two other high major players and uh, potentially two other D1 players on the roster that, um, you know, he doesn't have to be the the guy on every game. And uh, for him to put up the numbers he does playing within the system, uh, that's what coaches love about him, that, you know, when you get to the next level, you're not going to get – 30 shots in a game. I mean, you're going to have to operate within what they do. And Hunter's ability to put up numbers, do so at efficient clip, all within the frame of the team, I think is what kind of separates him from most every other prospect we've seen here in this state in a long, long time. And he's got right now, obviously, Gonzaga, Kansas, Oregon, 
I mean, some very, very good ones. When does that next tier of the Duke-Kentucky offer? It could, Probably the spring, the so spring, summer. Do you think that will happen? Do you think he'll get the Duke-Kentucky? And do you, do you know, is he going to stick with Nebraska AAU or is he going to try to play with somebody else? Yeah, that all remains to be determined because he's going to have opportunities. Now, does he need to play with anybody else? That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, so you're already a five-star top 20 player in the nation. Do you need that much more exposure? I think if you want, if you're seeking those the Duke offer, the North Carolina offer, the can, or the Kentucky, yeah, those types of schools. I think playing at a prep school and playing on the Nike EYBL circuit is you kind of have to do that for one to get FaceTime in front of those coaches, but two uh, to show that you can play at that level with that caliber of players. And um, you know, he got a taste of that with that IMG game um, over the weekend, where you know IMG has four or five stars on their roster, and Hunter held his own. So I mean, I think being able to showcase his talents at that level would put him into that that top echelon of when you're getting attracted by the coach K's and Roy Williams and all that stuff. But right now I don't, I, I, we'll see what he does. I mean, cause he's going to have opportunities to play for a different AAU team. He's going to have opportunities to play at a prep school. And he was, he's year. OSA last year. Yes. And so, you know, they, that's a, that's a good, and they play on the top Adidas tour, yes, right? That, that is a good program to be on, you know, especially uh, just given kind of all the politics involved with moving up to the EYBL. But uh like I said, he's going to have opportunities and I know that they're having discussions about what they want to do, but I think any of that stuff is being put off towards after his junior season. Yeah. If I'm Bob and the guys that Bob Francis, uh, Francisi that runs uh, yeah. OSA and that organization, I'm probably saying, all right, we got to put together maybe the most attractive tournament schedule we can with this team of kids we have to keep them here and show that we are going to put them in the best possible things that they can be in, even though they're not on the EYBL. Right. I mean, if you can provide the opportunities that some of those, you know, EYBL programs can give you as far as exposure and playing against that top competition, then, uh, you know, that's going to make it a lot more attractive for Hunter to stay. And again, I, I don't know if he, he certainly hasn't made a decision one way or another on any of that stuff. But all I'm saying is, um, Coaches have been calling. Coaches will continue to call uh, and try to lure him away because, like I said, he's he's in rare territory now uh, with that fifth star in that top 20 ranking. And it could be a deal where maybe he'll play a Nebraska team in the spring and maybe in July he plays for like a— Isaiah Roby did that where he played with, uh, with his Quad City Elite program out of Illinois and then swung up with the Indy Heat uh, for a couple weekend for tournaments. For the Peach because can they, they can just add you yeah. to a roster, so then all of a sudden you can go play down in the, the Peach Jam. Is yeah, the Peach UI. Jam is the, the championship round, and that's in July, end of July. But, you know, there's plenty of uh, even just non-live period events that he could play on. And e EYBL, you don't play tournaments every weekend. It's like pool games. Like you yeah, play like three like seasons. You play like three yeah. or four season games to get seeded for the peach jam right and i think there's like four uh stops nationally like usually in texas la minneapolis um, had one at yeah, one time yeah so they move them around but uh, they always end um in augusta at peach jam and it's uh it is the event of the aau season and that coaches can still go to that. Yes. I mean, that, that, that is the one that everybody goes to. If, yeah. if Fred Hoiberg, Matt Abdomazi, all those guys are going to be front and center for Peach Jam. So they they were the rules are still somewhat restricted, though, right, as far as what coaches can be at and what can't. Or do they kind of pull back some of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's, the, the recruiting calendar has changed quite a bit, um, you know, especially with, uh, you know, the the new legislation that went down last year. Uh, I think it really did a disservice to uh, – 
kids. It actually hurt kids. Especially not the non like top of the line guys because coaches have to make pretty uh, specific decisions on how they're going to travel and how they're going to evaluate uh, because you only have so many windows where you can see players. And um, they try to do these events where they have hundreds of kids all at one event and you're asking these coaches to try and get a thorough evaluation of uh, as many kids as they can, you know, that's going to eliminate opportunities to be seen for a lot of those kids that might be under the radar a little bit. So I don't like it whatsoever. I know coaches don't like it, but it is what it is, and you got to work around it. Well, and the bottom line is the bad people in the basketball recruiting world are still going to be there, oh, yeah. and, and they'll find new ways to be bad. Yep, handlers are still there. The quote-unquote uncles are still there and all that stuff. So, I mean – it really just is this guy's like this things. guy's my older brother, but he's not really my brother. Yeah, it hasn't changed anything for those types of guys that are getting money. It, it changes things for the guys that aren't uh, getting handlers or shoe contract uh, kickbacks that you know don't get the opportunities now that maybe they would have had under the previous calendar. Because we did find out really that a lot of the high schools they don't want to run these things. No, like the they high don't school, have the resources, nor are they getting paid. Exactly. You know, if, if you're paying a high school coach an extra $30,000 to coach summer hoops, he's going to do it maybe, but they're not doing that. Yeah, yeah. And, again, so that it just puts everybody in a bad situation, uh, the college coaches, the high school coaches, the players, to where, uh, you know, the, I think they had the right intent of trying to uh, take away some of the influence of the wrong people, but really didn't change much in that regard and really put uh, a lot of different people at disadvantages. All right, when we come back, we're going to pick things up uh, more about the roster of Nebraska basketball and where things are at going forward. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Hey, I heard you this is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Ron Washhead. Uh, we're going to talk some more basketball here as Let's face it, Robin, the season's kind of lost. There's not a lot left to play for on the court other than just kind of getting through this season and keeping Cam Mack happy for the future because you know you've got your franchise point guard. You know you've got some sit-out guys right now. They're going to help your team. But there's a lot more still going on with 2020 recruiting with targets, transfers out there that could help Nebraska basketball immediately. You did a really good breakdown this week on HuskerOnline.com. What were some of your main takeaways? Well, it's funny because right now, um, you know, Charlie Easley's scholarship will essentially expire at the uh, end of the semester, leaving them with right now one open scholarship left to fill in the spring while once the spring signing period gets up in April. Uh, But the number of offers they put out for 2020 already uh, puts them well over that projected number. So um, they've already had a few um, guys come in on official visits, uh, but it's really interesting the number of players they're in on that are technically 2021 recruits that could move up to 2020 and be immediately eligible uh, by reclassifying. And the, the guy at the top of that list is Carter Witt, a point guard on North Carolina who was on an official visit here uh, for the Penn State game. Um, he's a four-star top 60 player in the 21 class, but um, most people expect him to move up to 2020, and Nebraska is actively recruiting him for 2020. Um, he's going to make a decision on his classification at the end of his high school season uh, here in the next few weeks, so we'll get a better idea on that. But um, he's right up there uh, on the top of Nebraska's wish list. And then right next to him is a, a center. For all you guys that are asking if Nebraska's ever going to recruit a big, here's one for you. Adama Sonogo, a six foot nine, 250-pound center out of the Patrick School in New Jersey. Um, he's another four-star top 50 player in the 2021 class 
that very well could move up to 2020. And I think Nebraska, again, is recruiting him more so as a 20 recruit than they are 21. Uh, They're working on getting him on campus for an official visit as well. And um, from what I've been hearing, they feel very good about their chances with him. And so those are your top two guys. And then, oh, by the way, there's a kid who visited in the fall named Tibet Gorner, a shooting guard out of California uh, who is yet to make a decision. Uh, He's a sharpshooter from Turkey uh, that, you know, is still very much uh, in the mix. And depending on when he decides to make his decision, he could be in the fray. And on top of that, Nebraska recently got involved with Kobe King, a transfer from Wisconsin who left the team midseason after being their second leading scorer on the year and I think was leading the team uh, in scoring in Big Ten play. Uh, he left after a racial, racial epithet was used during a workout by one of Wisconsin's strength coaches, and now he's back on the market, and it sounds like he will be in Lincoln um, within the next few weeks here uh, on an official visit. And so, you know, that's kind of puts him right in the middle of that conversation as well as a guy that not only could transfer to Nebraska but could be ruled immediately eligible if he's able to get a waiver, uh, you know, kind of based off the circumstances regarding his departure from Wisconsin. So that right there is a pretty interesting group that, you know, there's some other guys, some Juco guards that they've recruited as well, but that's four guys that Nebraska has a legitimate shot with, with only one spot to fill. So not only does it give you an idea of what they're looking for with this one spot, but what they might be trying to fill with some off-season attrition after the year. What I mean, yeah, when you look at attrition, I don't, I don't want to put you in a position where you're going to have to just like say, this guy's gone, that guy's gone. But if you were to put a number of current scholarship players that are still playing basketball right now for Nebraska, I mean, it's one or two more of those guys moving on, like a realistic uh, – realistic uh, take right now? Yeah, I mean, I think at least a couple probably when all said and done. Um, A lot of it, though, just depends on what guys want to do with their role next year. And there are players on the team right now that are seeing extensive minutes, uh, starter minutes in some cases, that probably won't get that workload next season given uh, what Nebraska is bringing in with those three transfers, Delano Banton, Shamil Stevenson, uh, Derek um, – why am I blanking on his name right now? Derek – Walker, sorry, and then the Chujuko guys, uh, Teddy Allen and Latmayan, and then whatever else they add uh, with this 20 class. I mean, there's going to be a huge influx of competition that is probably going to uh, reduce some roles there. And so how receptive are those types of players that are playing now going to be to taking a back seat in some cases. And that will ultimately define how much attrition we actually see. But more than likely, you're looking at at least, you know, one, two, maybe even three guys uh, that are playing right now that won't be around next year. And you mentioned Charlie Easley's technically not on scholarship, but this, the way rosters turn and burn, I mean, he's almost going to be a guy that always might get the type of scholarship he gets in a lot of years because it's so hard to actually truly have 13 scholarship guys every year. Well, especially with mid-year transfers. You saw it here with like Samari Curtis. I mean, he that's where Charlie got his scholarship. So um, spots open up, uh, you know, attrition is going to happen all the time. And, you know, scholarship or not, Charlie's, you know, he's going to be a valuable asset. Just to have a player like that that you can throw in off the bench uh, to be the tone setter in practice and all that stuff. I mean, he he's going to have a role. But, you know, again, I've said the, the hope is that the way that Nebraska recruits, the um, dependency you have on a former walk-on becomes much less as the years go on. Yeah, you're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Of those sit-out guys, there's three right now that are pl- on the bench but not playing. Yeah, Walker, Stevenson, and Ben. Of those three, if they could play right now, how many would be in the starting five today? 
Yeah, I think Delano Banton is probably. I mean, he's one of the best players on the team right now. Uh, the staff absolutely loves him. He's six foot eight and can run the point. Uh, and I was watching him actually on Wednesday after practice, and just he was just shooting with Shamil Stevenson. His shot looks so much better than it did this summer when we first got a chance to see him. And so he's obviously going to the Fred Hoiberg school of three point shooting and learning a lot. Uh, so I'm really excited about his potential. And Stevenson is right in that conversation as well. And then just given Nebraska's post depth, Derek Walker would be a huge asset right now. I mean, he's six foot eight, 230 pounds that uh, could be a welcomed piece to a thin front court. So you could make an argument that if they're not starting, all three would be playing extensive minutes for this team right now had they been eligible. And then Thor, Thor's a, a senior or uh, junior? No, he's a junior. Okay, you're okay. So, like, obviously, he's a guy that maybe a year ago this time we wouldn't expect him to be here for both years, Ooh, but nope. he has given himself a role where you know he's going to be a guy next year. Yeah, he's probably the more one of the more interesting pieces in the sense that I mean, right now he's one of their better players on the team. Uh, and you, if he does decide to come back next year, the only way I would see him leaving is if he were to go back home uh, to play, play pro. To play pro, and I just don't get the sense that he would do that. For one, uh, when he came to Nebraska, he did so under the premise, uh, ordered by his family, that he wasn't coming back without a degree, and he's not going to graduate in time to, um, you know, do that before the start of next season. So um, he's given no indication he wants to go anywhere. I think he loves Lincoln. He loves playing for head Fred Hoiberg. Clearly Hoiberg thinks very highly of him. And for Nebraska to have a guy of a senior veteran who has played more big 10 basketball than anybody on the roster coming off as one of your top guys off the bench. That's a huge asset to have. I mean, just to have that experience when your starters need a break to have a guy like Thor who can shoot the three knows how to play within the system and kind of can direct direct traffic a little bit. Um, that'd be a very valuable piece to the puzzle that I think Nebraska is going to do all they can to keep him around for another year. You're listening here to the Husker online show as, as we talk roster stuff. You know, Gervais Green, too, he's a guy a month ago I would have said he might be gone, but he's played better. He's made better decisions on the court down the stretch. He'll be one that I'll be curious to see where that kind of goes this offseason. And does he have a red shirt if he wanted to leave? And that, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense, though. Yeah, he does. But, again, yeah, that that – that's a tough spot to be in. Go sit out another time. And yeah, yeah. I, I just don't see, and he's not anywhere near graduating. No, no, no. Um, so yeah, he and Deshaun Burke are probably the most interesting because they're both going to be seniors. Burke does not have a red shirt. So he'd um, have to graduate. Yeah. And I think he, he actually will be able to do that. So um, he could be a definite grad transfer candidate, but again, you know, it's, it's just depends on what these guys want to do. If these guys are content with, you know, taking a cut in minutes and um, potentially being taken out of the starting lineup, then, you know, so be it. But a lot of guys don't want to do that, especially with their senior seasons. You want to be on the court. You don't want to play sparing minutes off the bench and just be a rotation guy as a senior, especially with two guys that came here to be immediate impact pieces under the previous coaching staff. So, I, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with there. But, you know, there's going to be some real hard conversations at, at the end of the season. A cola rope is one that intrigues me, too, because attitude-wise, the way he goes to work, you know, you love the guy. I mean, it, you can just tell that he – does what he needs to do but his skill set is still somewhat not a good marriage with the Hoiberg mm -hmm. system so how they make hit that work here long term that will be one to watch too there's so much to like about a call a rope I mean just as a person he's as good as it gets uh, he's not going to say anything out of line he's just going to work every day uh, and he's one of the best athletes pure athletes on the team 
I just don't know what his place is on the team right now. I mean, he's not big enough to be a forward. He's not a good enough shooter to be a guard. And, you know, where do you play him? Uh, so that's what makes – I mean, as far as the rest of the season is concerned – a call rope has got a, a big opportunity here because he's going to see uh, some extensive minutes, you know, some relatively valuable minutes, uh, and he's going to have an opportunity to show what he can do. And, you know, maybe he can make an impression on this staff to where they view him differently by the end of the season than maybe what they did at midyear. It's fun when, like, late in the game when there's been some games where it's got out of hand, him and Easily, they, sure. they, they play well together. There's uh, something to be said that for guys that care, and those guys care. And, you know, when the fans, they see it, and they see that type of effort. And, and so, like I said, he's, he's going to have plenty of opportunities to showcase himself and show to his coaching staff that he can be a piece they can build around going forward. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined in studio by Husker Line intern Blake Arney. We'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. This is HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, pleased to bring in uh, one of the newest members of our Husker Online team, intern Blake Arney. I said it right, Arney, right? Yes, you did. And uh, you are a Kansas City native, uh, but you're deeply rooted. You got a lot of family in Columbus, right? Yes, I do. I got both my grandparents. Uh, they live, or my uh, dad's side, they live there, and both my parents grew up in Columbus. So. And you got introduced to the Red Sea Scrolls this week, so I'm glad. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you survived uh, Car and Lando's full background check that he gave on you. That oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I told you guys, once you get on the Red Sea Scrolls, your life's going to be a little bit different. And uh, but we, we got our first mailbag with you, Blake. What's the first question out of the gates? So, uh, how much should the new special teams analysts help? Uh, it's really hard to say. I think when you look at Jonathan Rutledge, um, who's coming on. You know, what is his role going to be? I think he's going to have more power, more autonomy as far as coordinating and putting players in place where I think when you look at the setup before, Jovan DeWitt had to manage that. He had to manage outside linebackers. He battled cancer. Um, So I I think just the level of detail and focus maybe wasn't as good on special teams. Let's be real, Robin, not having a kicker. Um, last year was a really, really big, big part of Nebraska's special teams problems. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden having better specialists, it's weird how that equates to having better special teams. So, you know, I think improving the uh, depth at kicker, uh, getting better production out of the punter, and then also uh, just being ha- having a guy fully dedicated towards organizing special teams will take a big lift off those full-time assistants. All right, you survived your first question. Blake, what's mm-hmm. next? So we've got, uh, what has been your favorite Husker sports memory? Favorite Husker sports memory. I mean, there's several for me. Um, I've been around a while now, I guess. But obviously, going to games, we got our season tickets as a kid in 93. Um, But the first big game I went to um, was the 91 Nebraska-Washington game. Um, And Washington won the national title that year, and it was a night game. Night games were rare, so they lost, but it was just a cool deal to get a go to a big night game like that. I think about 92, um, I went to that Colorado game as well, and Colorado was really, really good. If I'm not, or 90 or 92, Colorado was really good one of those years when they came to Lincoln. Um, But the Cordell Stewart, Rashawn Salam team that came in, Brooke Behringer. Um, you know, engineered just a flawless game. I mean, one of the best one versus three type games you're ever going to see. And um, Nebraska just played lights out football. Um, that's one that will always stick in my mind, knowing the circumstances, what that game meant, and what a guy like Brooke Behringer did to, to win that game for Nebraska. 
Yeah, coincidentally, mine also revolves around Brooke Behringer. When my first game, I think, that I went to was 1994 when Wyoming came to town. My dad had his uh, <laughs> connections to Wyoming, and so we were sitting in the Wyoming section, uh, well, <laughs> literally next to some cowboys wearing, like, full-on, like, trench coats and cowboy hats, and they were smoking cigars and, like, had to be told by, like, security to put their cigars out because it was bad for the video boards. Anyway, that was a game Brooke uh, collapsed as long but, like, played through it, and they ended up barely winning the game. But professionally, it's got to be no sit Sunday with basketball. I mean, that was as just far as pure sporting events goes, the coolest environment I've ever personally experienced. And I've been to a lot of cool football games, but just the uniqueness of it being basketball and at Nebraska basketball and the stakes that were in that game uh, put it above everything else. I'll put one more in there: Jabba Chamberlain Super Regional Miami game. Yeah, that was sweet. Um, and they only were going to allow technically like eight thousand in Haymarket Park. Um, because that's the fire code on the berm. Um, but I have had people tied to the baseball program back then tell me that there were like twelve or 13,000 people um, just packed in those berms. And Miami came in, you know, they were cocky. They, they thought they were just going to stack up in Nebraska. And Nebraska had a roster just full of pro, pro talent, yeah. Gordon, Jabba, um, Dunzing. I mean, you go down the line, there were some real players. And they just beat the tar out of Miami. And I mean, the, the people, they, they didn't serve alcohol in the stadium, but they did in the parking lot. And let, <laughs> let's just say that was a, uh, a very, very fun day um, right up there with the Miami football game as well when they came to Memorial Stadium. So what do you got next, Blake? All right, pick the uh, more important key to Nebraska's success in 2020. Vokalek and Manning giving Nebraska true threat threats in the passing game or the solidification of interior play. Mm. On the offensive or line, interior line play. Yeah. I I kind of think offensive line play in this conference. Um, I think we know Vocalex going to be good. Um, as far as like Manning goes, I mean, yeah, I think I think we know he's going to be good. I think he's I think getting him to campus on time through practice will be a key for me. But figuring out who the best five offensive linemen are could, could um, you know Ethan Piper push for the inside? Can Matt Farniak? Um, move inside and ta- inside to guard. Could Bryce Benhart win a tackle job? I think there's so many questions that that offensive line to me is going to be the difference between an okay year to a good year. One thing we've learned uh, in Nebraska's time in the Big Ten is that it doesn't really matter what your skill position guys look like. If you can't win in the trenches, you will not win in this league. And Nebraska has struggled with that for a long time and especially recently and so bolstering that offensive line particularly on the interior to be able to run the ball between the tackles and churn out those game winning yards on the ground uh, is probably the most important thing this offense could do all right we got time for about a couple more questions Blake what's next yeah what storylines in the spring game have you guys uh personally excited you guys the most? I mean, just seeing the number of newcomers that are here, um, seeing Volkolek play, that that's one. But there, are, when you count like Isaac Gifford, there are 10 future scholarship newcomers that have already been on campus going through workouts, going through stuff. Logan Smothers, what's he going to do? Um, McCaffrey, um, will these guys actually make a push at Adrian Martinez? Um, I, I think those are all things we know, though, the spring game is more a production. It's not really a game. They have to make it look like a game, but it's a very vanilla 
roll the football out, let guys be athletes, put on a show for the fans. A lot of programs have gone away from even doing traditional spring games. I mean, Nebraska really does have the best spring game in the country um, from the way it's played to everything else. But, you know, the days of having your ones-on-ones and, you know, letting them play a real game, you just don't see that anymore really on any spring games. Yeah, for me it's quarterback, but you know, especially with Adrian Martinez being limited with that shoulder, there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for some of those other guys to get real good work. But um, you know, I think really what we're probably gonna learn the most is just kind of what the impact of Matt Lubick's gonna be. Uh, I mean, being able to get some some feedback of you know a new voice essentially uh, as Frost's right hand man running this offense, I think is going to be as important um, as anything as far as the spring specifically. Because there's gonna be a lot of questions left to answer. I just don't know how many we're gonna get answers to uh, by the end of the spring game. All right, Blake, we got time for about one more here. What's your final question? All right, so football players can keep their registered status even after playing up to a third of the season. Uh, will we see a similar rule apply in baseball and basketball anytime soon? Oh man. I don't think so. Um, I think football is a unique sport, and it, it just there's things about football that you need a few games to know. And I think baseball, you have a little bit better feel um, for that. And I just don't know what the game point would be. Uh, basketball, it just doesn't seem likely. I mean, I don't even know if that's ever been discussed. And I feel like in basketball, Robin, there's so much transferring. Yeah, they don't need any more. Uh help getting I mean, guys to jump from school to they, school they need to preserve that red shirt in yeah. basketball yeah and especially with the, you're talking about a lot more games too i mean the third of a season is 10 games and that's a big chunk that can ultimately define a team's success uh with a player that doesn't even use a year of eligibility so yeah i don't see that happening anytime soon and i don't think it needs to because uh the transfer rate is already high enough well blake you survived your first mailbag uh thanks for coming well in done. and, yeah. and they did a good job Thank you. And I think the board will be easy on you. So uh, thanks for coming in. And uh, <laughs> He's got forward. an avatar, so he's off to a good he's start. Got, he's got his avatar. Sean didn't even know. Leatherman, our other intern, didn't know how to upload his avatar. And I had to be you know, a dad to Sean. They, they call him Dean Jr. on the board and, and upload his avatar for him. So uh, we got him squared away as well. But looking forward uh, to baseball coverage again this weekend. Thanks yeah. again, Blake. Yeah. All right, when we come back, uh, we will close. Nate Klaus is going to join us from Arizona over the phone. We'll talk some recruiting next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan talking recruiting now with Nate Klaus. Um, He's joining us remotely out in Phoenix, Arizona. I hope he's somewhere near a pool, maybe a golf course, possibly with a drink with an umbrella in his hand. Uh, Of course, after he's done doing the recruiting segment in this uh, segment here on the Husker Online Show, brought to you by our friends at Kugler Vision. Nate Klaus, tell them about your experience with Kugler Vision. Yeah, hoping to get out to a golf course and test out the the new eyes, the new vision that that I've gotten. Uh, since I had my LASIK procedure done at, at Kugler Vision, and now is the time to schedule your LASIK consultation at Kugler Vision. Uh, come in for a consultation during the month of February, and you're automatically entered to win an Omaha night out, a delicious dinner at 801 Chop House in the Old Market with two tickets to see the Lumineers at the CHI Health Center March 14th. Uh, so I encourage you to go in, uh, book your consultation at uh, kuglervision.com, and, and be entered for that contest and to improve your vision for 2020. Well, Nate, let's talk some recruiting here now. When when you start to look more at some of these top names, especially in the region for 2021, you've got TJ Bowlers uh, right outside um, Iowa City there in Amana, and obviously Thomas Fedoni in Council Bluffs, Avante Dickerson in Omaha. 
you know, three of the highest rated guys really in the 500 mile radius. And, you know, we're learning that this is not going to be um, a regional battle, so to speak, in some other big name national programs, elite programs, might I add, threw their names in the ring for all these players this week. Yeah, they really did. I mean, you, you had Alabama uh, that came in and, and offered Fedoni and Bowlers. Uh, USC has come in and, and offered Avante Dickerson. Um, and there's a little bit of a connection there. You know, uh, former Nebraska defensive backs coach Dante Williams just recently moved from Oregon to USC, um, you know, where he's the, the new DB coach there for the Trojans. Um, and, and just a day or two after that happens, he, he offered Avante Dickerson. So, uh, I mean, it's been, and, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, if Teddy Prohaska was not committed to the Huskers, he'd probably be receiving a lot of these offers too. Um, it's pretty, you know, it's, pre- it's pretty crazy when you look at the types of teams that are coming in and recruiting uh, this regional talent that, that, uh, that exists uh, between Nebraska and Iowa uh, right now. I mean, it kind of reminds you of uh, – of you know when Isaiah Simmons went to Clemson and, and Xavier Kelly went to Clemson uh, in Kansas you know a handful of years ago, but the the, the big difference is that uh, these are not late offers. I mean the, the, these programs, these big time programs, are coming in early on and trying to, to snag some of these guys. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show as we talk recruiting and Nate. I think it's just another example of the money that the uh, upper conferences and the programs have now. They just have additional bodies, additional manpower that, you know, you flash back to when you were in recruiting um, with Nebraska, the the salaries, you know, were fair wage at that time, but they, they didn't have near the manpower that you see now with so many six-figure bodies that are just evaluating recruiting film and full-time recruiting staff members and then obviously access now to private planes to get to these places easier. It's totally changed how recruiting is done, and it's really made it where you're seeing Alabama come into Council Bluffs, Iowa, and make an offer. Yeah, I mean, it's changed everything. The recruiting landscape as a whole over the last you know, 10, 10 years or more uh, has just changed uh, dramatically. I mean, uh, you mentioned that the, the amount of money that, that, these, that these schools have, the budgets, um, which allows them to have massive recruiting staffs. And uh, I remember, you know, working in Nebraska, it was really kind of a two-man show and, and a secretary. And, and now you've got recruiting staffs that have four or five, six or more just dedicated people to, to uh, you know, kind of evaluating film and, and doing a lot of the legwork uh, for the coaching staff, and, and and in a lot of in some cases, it's even it's even more than that. So, and those guys are making you know uh, six figures a year or very close to it, so, which is which is really mind blowing uh, when when I look back to to what some of the guys uh, in the recruiting office were making uh, when I worked there. So, um, it's it's changed everything, and, and the process has sped up and become so competitive too that. Uh, you kind of have to get your get your name in there and, and start that relationship and, and offer uh, with a lot of these national type of recruits and um, and the one thing that has not changed I think is is that recruiting is kind of a copycat game. I mean we've all seen it where you know a prospect will pick up an offer or two from a specific school um, and then all of a sudden it kind of opens the floodgates for 
for a bunch of other schools to follow suit. And, and that's certainly what has happened with, uh, you know, Vontae Dickerson and, and TJ Bowlers and uh, definitely Thomas Fedoni. Hey, Nate, when you, you mentioned earlier about Dante Williams going from Oregon to USC, knowing the landscape right now at USC, why do you think he made that move, leaving probably the top program in the Pac-12 to one that might have a lame duck head coach right now um, when, you, when you look at the two schools? Well, I, I think, I mean, he said it, it was an opportunity to get closer to home. Uh, you know, he's from L.A., and, it, and I think he's got a family member that is ill right now. I believe, his, I, I believe he said his mother is, is not in good health right now. Uh, so that was part of it. But, um, you know, I, I do think that when you look at, when you look at certain coaches around the country, um, you know, certain assistants, there are guys that could survive staff changes like that. Uh, and I think Dante Williams is one of those guys. He's, he's from LA. He's got every connection there could, you could ever want in, in and around LA and, and really on, on the West coast now. Um, and then he's got a couple connections in the Midwest, you know, for being at Nebraska. And, um, and, uh, and I think that he's such a, he's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. I think he's one of those guys that, um, you know, he, he might feel like, you know what, I'm going to take a, I'm going to roll the dice here and, and get back to my old stomping grounds. And, and if there is a coaching change that happens, I, I think I'm good enough uh, as a coach and as a recruiter that the new coach will have to at least give me a, a legitimate look at, at keeping me on board here. Yeah, because he really obviously isn't really that much tied to Clay Helton. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like maybe he has a idea that, you know, if I do what I know I can do, I'm going to have so much value that a new coach is going to have to keep me on board there. Exactly. And, and let's be honest. I mean, USC, they signed like the 53rd class in the country this past year. Their recruiting has been terrible. And I know a lot of it has to do with Clay Helton, you know, the uncertainty surrounding his future there. Uh, but at the same time, we have seen more schools go into L.A. and pull the, top, the best recruits out of L.A., um, here over the last, you know, probably two or three recruiting cycles that, that I can ever remember. And USC is not getting those guys anymore. Uh, it's, it's been Arizona State. It was Oregon when, you know, Dante himself were, was at Oregon, um, you know, over these past few years. They've been stealing the best guys out of L.A. Um, and even, you know, some other programs nationally. So uh, I think that if, if you're Dante and you think you can go into L.A. and, and lock up some of these some of these top players and say, Hey, look, uh, you need me to keep some of these guys at home. I think regardless of who the head coach is, they're going to, they're going to keep him and they're probably going to pay him pretty well. Yeah. You look just across the board, what Arizona state is, is doing. I mean, they hired obviously Herm Edwards as the head coach, but then Marvin Lewis, um, you know, is now um, a full-time uh, co-defensive coordinator. I mean, you look across the country. Um, isn't Ed Reed now with Miami? And then uh, DeMarco Murray's just been brought on at Oklahoma. You're seeing kind of a younger NFL-type guy coming into some of these programs. And, um, you know, it has – you know, it, it will change with recruiting. And Nebraska will have to fight some of that now going forward against some of these coaches. Yeah, I mean, you're getting guys that have some, some name brand, name recognition – um, you know, to their to their profile that are coming back, going back to their their alma mater and, and recruiting, uh, or at least being involved in the program. And um, you know, and, and if if they didn't play there, then it's they're still players. They're still you know coaches. 
now, I guess that you you call them that have uh, you know a certain level of cachet to their name, and and uh, that is something that's kind of the new trend, and and that's something that I think uh, you know Nebraska is going to have to pay attention to and see you know maybe maybe uh, you know create some new roles or whatever, but uh, it may get to that point where where they have to kind of follow suit too. Yeah, Antonio Pierce, too, another guy on that Arizona State staff. I mean they. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with um, in the West Coast. And, yeah, you, if you're USC, you better get it figured out uh, going forward. Yeah, exactly. I, and, yeah, and, I'm, and Antonio Pierce is one of those guys that he's got a lot of connections in L.A. too. He, he was an assistant coach or, or maybe even the defensive coordinator at Long Beach Poly before going to Arizona State with Herm Edwards. And, and i gotta eat, I got to eat some crow on that whole Herm Edwards deal. Um, you know, I, I know it's, it's still kind of a – it's early in the tenure there, but I thought that was going to be just a complete train wreck. And, uh, and so far, they've, they've done all right. All right, Nate. Well, you are out on the West Coast, and I'm going to let you enjoy your time out there with your wife, Stacy. Hope you guys have a, have a good trip out there in Arizona. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, thank you, Nate. And once again, uh, Nebraska basketball in action here, um, as well as the baseball team. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com as we'll have the latest in both Husker football, basketball, and baseball here over the weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.